TGIM, Timari. This is episode 315. I can't even imagine picking up a drink to solve something anymore. It doesn't even cross my mind. Welcome to the Recovery Elevator Podcast. My name is Odette Kressler. Thank you so much for joining us. On today's podcast, we've got Kate. Kate took her last drink on August 11th, 2018. She is from New Jersey and she is 42 years old. And before we get started on the interview, I want to let you all know about today's sponsor, BetterHelp. Mental health matters, and as we continue to live through this pandemic, it has become more and more evident that we need to have someone that can help us process all of our emotions and life stressors. BetterHelp will assess your needs and match you with your own licensed professional therapist. BetterHelp provides a broad range of expertise, which may not be locally available in many areas. The platform is super easy to navigate as you can log into your account anytime and send a message to your counselor. You'll get a timely and thoughtful response, plus you can schedule weekly video or phone sessions with your counselor. BetterHelp is more affordable than traditional offline counseling and financial aid is available. I highly encourage you all to check it out. Simply visit betterhelp.com forward slash elevator, that's betterhelp, H-E-L-P, and join over a million people who have taken charge of their mental health with the help of an experienced professional. This podcast episode is sponsored by BetterHelp and Recovery Elevator listeners get 10% off their first month at betterhelp.com slash elevator. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash elevator. All righty, let's work on finding your better you. The other day, I was thinking about change and about how hard it is to see where we are in the process sometimes. I thought about how desperately we want to know if we're doing recovery right. Has all of this work been worth it? Like when I'm having a total meltdown day, I'm just crying over everything and I'm having a very low productive type of day. I can't help but wonder, is this progress or am I just projecting all over the place? Do I focus on the fact that I made it sober for the day? Or do I focus on the fact that I wasn't my best self and just wallow in guilt? It's muddy. And it's contradictory sometimes too, at least in our labeling minds. We think that bad days means that we're doing it wrong and that negative emotions are guides in the wrong direction. I know that on hard days, I actually have to use more tools, which probably means I'm making more progress, right? Holly Whitaker posted a sketch the other day on her social media and it immediately caught my eye. It was labeled the hourglass of change. There was a sketch of an hourglass, and on the top of the hourglass, there was a word that said start, and on the bottom of the hourglass, you can read the word that says goal. So it's, it's a journey from start to the goal, start to finish line. And in between the start and the goal sat all of these different messages with different arrows and different points of the trajectory. Closer to the top of the hourglass, some of the messages read, enthusiasm. And I even saw the phrase on there that says, this isn't so bad. This is all referring to our mental state when we start something. When we start change, we feel enthusiastic and we're like, oh, this doesn't suck. This isn't so bad. Then in the middle of the hourglass, there is one that says, I lost everything. I hate my life. 
And then there's another one a little bit lower straight to the side that says, start gaining momentum. And then close to the bottom of this sketch, close to the bottom of the hourglass, which is close to the goal, there are two messages. One reads, still want to quit. And the other one reads, shit really falls apart. I saw it, I took it in, and I took a screenshot. I'm going to share this on our social media in case my description totally sucked right now. And all I could think about while taking in this sketch was, yes, 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 yes. How can we learn to appreciate this hourglass of change as we step into change in our lives, as we step into sobriety? How can we begin labeling less and accepting more? Accepting that all feelings are indicators of progress, not just the pretty ones. Accepting that feeling defeated, sad, angry, scared, lost, those all have a place in our chapters of change. When those feelings come into my life, at least, I want to shove them out as fast as possible. I want to work through them and get on with the rainbows and butterflies. It seems like I'm chasing that on the daily. But if after all, I'm looking for peace, versus this never-ending euphoric journey, then I need to learn to move a little bit slower through these very uncomfortable feelings. Compassion has been in my heart. It has been a topic of conversations that I've been partaking in. And I've been just working on this. I'm not perfect, but I want to encourage us all to be more compassionate towards ourselves and others. Let us remember that we're all on the same path, wanting to connect with others and feel like we belong. If sobriety is kicking you in the butt right now, don't be so hard on yourself and take it as a sign of progress. You're on the right track. You are right where you're supposed to be. All right, eso es todo. That is all for today before we get to the interview. And before we hear from Kate, let's hear from my favorite resource on this journey, Cafe Ari. For years, I tried to control my drinking on my own but I always felt alone and like I needed something else. When I discovered Cafe RE, I realized there were so many people just like me looking for a better life. Cafe RE is a private, unsearchable Facebook group that provides 24-7 access to a community of people whose goal it is to live a life without alcohol. In Cafe RE, you'll find authentic connection, love, and encouragement. With supportive and educational chats hosted throughout the week, there are plenty of opportunities to connect with others on the same path. Cafe RE is a place where we grow and learn together. And with golden rule number 22, we have a lot of fun while doing it. For just $24 a month, you'll have access to the community, all of our online chats, the opportunity to attend in-person meetups, get discounts on sober travel trips, and get assigned an accountability partner. 15% of monthly membership even goes towards our service project, where we partner with nonprofits to help those affected by addiction. Head over to recoveryelevator.com and use the promotional code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. Again, use the promo code OPPORTUNITY to waive the setup fee. We hope to see you there. Kate, I can't believe we're doing this live. How are you? Thank you, Odette. I'm doing well today. And let's get right to it. I do want to tell you guys that we are actually in the same room. We are together for an event that we put together for our Cafe RE members, and this is going to air a month or two after the event, but I'm really happy that we get to do this in person because I hadn't seen Kate since over a year ago at our Bozeman retreat. But let's get right to it. When was the last time you had a drink, Kate? 
My last drink was August 11th, 2018 in Silver Spring, Maryland. And can you give listeners a little background on yourself? Can you let us know where you're from? Do you have a family? What are your hobbies? What do you do for a living other than working with Recovery Elevator? And for our golden rule number 22, what do you like to do for fun other than burping with me after drinking bubbly? We just did like that like five minutes ago, guys. It was a blast. So I am from New Jersey. I was born and raised in New Jersey. I've lived multiple places in my life, but I always tend to wind up back in New Jersey. I do not have a family. I have my husband, Jay, and we have a few cats. Uh, They keep life interesting. For hobbies, I'm crafty. I work in the art world, and so I have a very crafty side to me. I knit, I can sew, I can cross-stitch. I like to exercise. I get outside as often as I can. All right, Kate, give listeners some background on your history with drinking. When did you start drinking? When did you realize alcohol wasn't serving you? And just tell us your story. So I took my first drink. I think I was 14. Um, I was definitely in high school. And that first time that I drank, I drank to the point of getting severely inebriated. And I think I probably blacked out. I think I only drank one other time in high school. And that also I drank to absolute obliteration with alcohol. It was really in college when I started to actually drink. It, I went to a small liberal arts school in Pennsylvania, and it was just kind of part of the culture. It was, it was very small. At the time that I went, it was less than 1,500 people. So everyone knew everyone, and you just kind of drank on the weekends. Um, I was in a sorority. It's part of the culture there. But then I would consider my drinking in college almost kind of normal and accepted. And then when I got out was when I started to, when I got out of college was when kind of demons started to show up a little bit for me. Um, To even take it a a step further back, when I was seven or eight years old, um, a choir director from the church that I was a part of uh, used to make me sit on his lap and to kiss him. And I was seven. I didn't have a choice. I was taught to respect my elders and kind of do what they asked me to do. And because he was an elder within the community, that was something that I just did. And looking back on it, that was the moment in which like, my life kind of really took an awkward turn as a very young person. From there, I developed an eating disorder. And although the eating disorder was, and I don't want to say the word accepted, but in my brain as a kid, it was more accepted because alcohol wasn't yet an option for me. And then when alcohol became an option, the eating disorder didn't heal itself, but the eating disorder itself went away. I wasn't in active binging and purging and starving myself. And then really, you know, from went from college on was when I just drank and I proved to myself that I could be the ultimate party girl. And I drank and I partied and I worked and the the career path that I had taken, um, I worked in galleries and auction houses. It was very much accepted for you to drink at parties and it was encouraged. It's very glitzy and glamorous and that's just what you did. And every picture looks better if you have a sparkling glass of wine in your hand. I moved to the UK in 2007 and I was there for about four years. And I remember when I first showed up, 
In New York, like if you're about to have your third glass of wine, people will kind of look at you and say, Ooh, do you, are you sure, are you sure, are you sure you want to have that third glass of wine? It's a Tuesday. And in the UK, they're like, what do you mean you're going home and not going to have a third glass of wine? You absolutely should have that third glass of wine. And something in my brain just went, oh my God, my people, I've come home. And I would actually really say like that stint in the UK was when my drinking really ramped up. I had previous to that gone through a divorce where my outlet was to drink myself to obliteration with vodka. And then moving to the UK, they always say like, you can't outrun your demons. You can't just, you know, move somewhere else and hope it goes away because it doesn't. Geographical cure, yes, never works. Been there, done that, tried that. I have a question before you keep going on your timeline. I want to know, you said you took over this role of like the ultimate party girl, the ultimate art gallery connoisseur who was working and having fun at the same time. Was this decision to get enmeshed with this role to hide your drinking a conscious decision or was it more unconscious and you weren't really asking yourself on the regular do I have a problem is something wrong with me what was going on in your brain because I know you're high functioning and you and I share that in our journeys we were both very high functioning so what was actually going on in your brain were you worried concerned or you were like denial I got this I've known from my first drink at 14 that I shouldn't drink. I have known my entire life. Alcoholism uh, runs in my family. My father is actually sober um, a little over five years. And it, it was not a conscious decision to be, to be the ultimate party girl, to cover all of this up. But I can tell you that every single day, it was a struggle to continue keeping up appearances and, and keeping up having to be having to be a professional while at the same time still drinking copious amounts of alcohol at night. Okay. And if you don't mind me asking, did you ever talk to anyone about the struggles that you were having with your eating disorder and then drinking? Even what happened when you were young? Did you just put that away? Tell me about that process. Did you go to therapy? Nada? Have a friend that you would trust? No. <laughs> I I was raised in a family where appearances kind of really meant everything. And we were, my brother, sister, and I were dressed in matching outfits at Christmas, um, for Easter, for all of the holidays. Like we looked very pretty and perfect on the outside while really looking at the three of us. I, I really think the three of us were crumbling with who we are. And I can't speak for them and I can't put words in their mouth and I won't, but just from my own opinion, I think that that was very much something with regards to the choir director. No, I did. That's a lie. I told my mother and I, she didn't believe me. Um, and then somehow something happened where my friend's mother, Mrs. Fitzgerald found out about this and she sat me down and we talked it through and it stopped. But I know I know that he was told like, you have to stay away from this girl because she doesn't approve of the way that you're touching her and dealing with her because fast forward. So that probably started when I was seven, fast forward to when I was 13 or 14 and I was still in the choir. So I had to see this man every week and we were doing something on the piano and he sat next to me and he looks at me in front of everyone and says, I remember a little girl that wouldn't let me touch her. And 
like I'm already a teenager and I'm already so screwed up from all of this stuff. And then to have the abuser almost turn it back around on me. And I was like, are you kidding me? And like looking back on it, I was so embarrassed and mortified. And as an adult, I'm like pissed about how it happened because there's no way that anyone should have ever been able to say that to me. That never should have crossed his mind to to say that. That had to be really hard, um, coupled with the fact that your mom didn't believe what was happening. I'm sure as a little girl, that had to be terrifying, um, not feeling like your mom had your back on that. So I'm sorry, friend. Tell me more about what happened once you were in the UK. You said you were there for four years. Did you move back It's because something happened? Was your time up there? Or walk us through what happened after living there for a season. Um, I moved back to the United States because I was engaged to another man. So I came home to kind of pursue that path with him. But while I was in the UK, I was sexually assaulted by a man that I was dating. And so that was also like a big turning point. And I want to say within six months, I had kind of like fled. It's complicated. That relationship with that man that I was engaged to was long and complicated. <laughs> Yeah, so that was that was why I moved back. I got a job back at a gallery in Manhattan, and I, I moved back home. Once I moved back home, that relationship fell apart. I got involved in another relationship with a man who was, he was a master manipulator. And what he and I would do for fun is we would drink and drink and drink. I remember during Hurricane Sandy, I made the joke like I had roasted a chicken and I bought three bottles of wine. I felt prepared, not knowing that I was going to be out of power for over six weeks. And during that time, he was stuck living with me and just the alcohol that we drank and trying to seek it out, like we just drank and drank. And I drank because I didn't want to be with him anymore, but I couldn't break up with him. Every time I tried to break up with him, he was famous. He'd be like, okay, I hear you. I understand it. Like, we're breaking up. And I'd be like, okay. And then the next day he'd be like, okay, so what are we doing tonight? And I was like, oh, what's happening here? <laughs> that had to be really confusing. So more bottles of wine, I assume. Were you noticing that you were drinking more and more with time? Was your threshold getting more? Yes, absolutely. Um, as time progressed, I just, my tolerance went up. I drank more. You know, a, a bottle of wine in an evening was standard for me. Then fast forward even a little bit further, um, January 2017, um, my now husband and I had gone out. We'd gone out to celebrate my coworker's husband's 40th birthday. I came home. I couldn't stand. I remember in my brain going, Katie, just put your feet on the ground. You can walk. And I had the man from the Uber on one side of me, my husband on the other side of me. They got me upstairs and I passed out on the floor in my coat and I woke up at five o'clock the next morning. I had urinated myself. I was just still so drunk from the night before. And that was the first time I actually tried to, with any actual attempt, get sober. And I was like, this has really gone too far. This this is not okay at all by any stretch of the imagination to to be acting like this, you know, in your 30s. And it it was just beyond. But I think I made it at that attempt. I made it 90 days almost. And then I started drinking again and my drinking, it just picked up and actually was amplified from that moment on. And I was drinking two to three handles of vodka a week. I, I have a job where I work remote a good portion of the time to begin with. 
So no one was ever looking for me. As long as I was online and responding to people, it wasn't that big of a deal. No one had to see me. No one had to smell me. So those things very much masked and hid a lot of my drinking. I actually work for a company where they are versed in recovery. And it's been actually such a a welcoming company to be a part of at this point because they understand recovery and they encourage recovery for those that need it. I love that you work for them. And you were talking about how you were able to mask what was going on due to the fact that you have some flexibility with work. But what about at home? I mean, you, you do live with someone. So can you talk to me a little bit about how that relationship changed? I know you met your current husband while you were still actively drinking. Did your drinking affect your relationship? A, I guess is my first part of the question. And B, how did that evolve once you decided to pursue this journey? Jay, my husband, he and I did meet when I was drinking. And he himself is actually a a heavy drinker as well. And we just fueled each other. Like some of our most fun days and nights out, we were drinking. And that was just what we did. And that was what we knew with each other as partners was we were drinking partners. And he's my husband. I, I love him. As I decided to quit drinking and straighten my own life out, it has put a lot of strain on our marriage. What in the past when I was drinking, I would lessen myself, tamper myself down, and I wouldn't ask questions. And neither would he. Like he knew if I was drinking at eight o'clock in the morning, but he wouldn't say a word. And I think I can't put words in his mouth again, but I think a portion of that was because I could turn around and say the same thing to him. Although he doesn't drink in the mornings, thank God I did. And he drank just as much as me and was standing next to me with every drink. But we, at this point, we are trying to rediscover who we are as a couple and figure out how to communicate now. My husband is a very rough and tumble man. He, he's lived a good and a hard life. and But also because of that, he falls into this gender norm of, I'm a man and I don't talk about my feelings. And as a woman now who is sober, I don't just have one feeling, I have all of them and I want to talk to people about them. So I've had to, honestly, I've, I've seeked out other friendships outside of our marriage. Not that he has to be my only friend, but I've really sought out and made connections with other people because they will talk to me about their feelings. And they are the people that I want to talk to now. And I think that that's a little hard for him as well. It's also hard for me because I would love to sit down and just talk to him about everything. I don't even really think he and I have ever spoken about why I actually stopped drinking. I have asked him and he says, oh, well, you're happier now. And that's like almost the end of the conversation. And it's incredibly frustrating to have to kind of stand there and be like, hi, remember me? I'm your wife. And now that I don't drink, like there's 10 other different dimensions to me and I'd like to show them to you. And he's still just giving me the one or two dimensions that was who I knew in the past. I love you. That's a very brave share. And I appreciate you. Um, I know you talk to, you'll have to remind me, her Instagram handle, Ditch the Drink, Heather, right? I know you talked to Heather recently about this on her Instagram because it is something that a lot 
of listeners and people in recovery struggle with and not enough people who are talking about it and being honest about it. So I want to say thank you for your honest and candid response. And if you have similar struggles and you're listening, you are not alone. I went through a similar path as Kate's. So thank you. I did want to double click on relationships and I'll go back to what you mentioned about you kind of made a face. I get to see it because I'm right here with you. When you said that you only got to 90 days on your first attempt, which I think is a lot considering another thing that we don't talk about enough. And it's the cycle of day ones that a lot of people feel stuck in. So tell me a little bit more about what happened after those 90 days. Were you stuck in this cycle of stop, restart, try again? And what stuck this time? Oh, start, restart, try again. (laughs) I should have a t-shirt made that says that. (laughs) Oh, I could make millions. I never moderated. Moderation was not something that ever existed. Either I was drinking or I wasn't drinking. There was no in-between. There, I never said, I'll just have two glasses of wine tonight because I knew I wasn't going to. And also, it was then so much easier for me to say, oh, well, if I'm not drinking tonight, and then if I change my mind, I can just turn the on switch on and start drinking. And that's okay, because then I didn't break my moderation rule. I just broke my yes or no rule, which wasn't a rule at all. Yeah, the, the, the number of day ones. I mean, the first time I actually ever walked into an AA meeting was I was 24 years old, and it was 2003, 2004. My first husband had told me that I had a drinking problem. But because of who he was, he was not a very nice person. I wouldn't ever give him that right to tell me that I had a drinking problem, which I did. And I can I can see that. So like the day ones over, you know, 20 years, 20 plus years of drinking were innumerable and just over and over and over. But really from 2000, January 2017 to August 2018, if I had kept drinking, I wouldn't be here. And I, I know that um, the alcohol would have killed me. It was day one, day one, day one. And then I, I just would start drinking again. It felt like every single day from January 2017 to August 2018 was another day one. And I can't even say like I got little stretches. They just felt like every day was the first day again. So what happened in August if you were in this cycle that did you do anything different? Did you have a shitty, crazy night? What happened the day before that got you to actually get on a streak? I would actually take it back about a month and a half. I would take it back to the beginning of July of 2018. I was sick and tired of being sick and tired. And you hear that over and over again. And it's so true. And I'd had, you know, 40 day ones from July to August. And the last one, it was the night before my best friend's baby shower. And I had not drank at dinner. Jay and I had walked home. We'd picked up some beer for him, wine for me. And I was sitting in the hotel room. And I remember I looked at the glass of wine and I put it down and I said, we're done. We're just done. And that was the last drink that I had. So beginning of that July, I was sitting at my desk at work. I was in the office. I Googled, you know, we live in, you know, this was 2018. 
We live in a world of instant gratification. If if I want a cupcake delivered at three o'clock in the morning, I can have that done. And I said to myself, there has to be a podcast out there about recovery. Like, I'm not stupid. This exists. And I Googled it and Recovery Elevator. It was the second podcast that came up because I don't know why in my brain. I was like, well, I don't want to click the first one. I was like, let's go for the second one. <laughs> I, I don't know why, like that was my my line of thinking. And at the time, Paul still said his sobriety date. And I just, I clicked play and he's, you know, Paul Churchill, da, da, da. And my sober date is September 7th and 2014. Sorry, Paul. And I said, oh, that's my birthday. And I said, well, this is going to be okay. And from the beginning of that July to August, I had binge listened to Recovery Elevator and hearing it was the first time I heard similarities in the way that I drank and the way that other people spoke about their drinking. Before that, when I I would try other ways to get sober and I just couldn't find similarities between me and what I was doing. And the end of August 2018 was when I signed up for Cafe RE and like my world opened up and I was like, oh, look at all these people. We're all here together trying to do this. And everyone was like, hey, Kate, let's be friends. And I, I was so taken aback. I was like, you guys actually want to be my friend? Like, what? You're, you're, you're internet strangers. And everyone was just like, yeah, sure. Let's be friends. Let's hang out. Let's, let's do stuff. And I was like, okay. And I all of a sudden had a community of other people that were trying to do the same thing that I was trying to do. And just that encouragement that I didn't have in, well, you guys have now become my real life, but what I didn't have in my real life at the time. I don't have, I didn't at the time have any type of sober community to speak of, and I needed one desperately. There were friends in my real life back then that were like, oh, I don't think you drink that. Like, you're too hard on yourself. You don't drink that much. And I was like, you guys don't see like you see me go home after three or four drinks that we've all had, and then I'm finishing half a bottle of vodka at home by myself. You know, Jay is there with me and just the cycle that was happening that no one actually saw. I'm so glad you didn't pick the first podcast. <laughs> so glad. We have you because you didn't pick the first podcast. So thank goodness. That community is a game changer. I'm glad that that was your answer of what was different because it truly is the case for many of us. And I think one of the neatest things that starts happening with time is that, like you said, we were your recovery bubble and now we're part of your real bubble. I think what has been the greatest joy for me in the last six months to a year is being able to merge recovery into our own life because... At the beginning, I do feel like it does feel a little bit like you have these two tracks and you have your day-to-day -day interactions and then your recovery interactions and your normal friends and your recovery friends. But there, there comes a point where those two merge and that's really neat to live. And it also gives you this weird layer of accountability where you're like, shit, if I want to stay friends with this person, I kind of have to stay on the path. Like you don't really have a choice anymore except to keep going. The other night when I did that Instagram live with Heather of Ditched the Drink, so many of my recovery friends hopped on to watch it. And also my real life friends hopped on to watch it. And at one point I saw Chris, who was in Cafe RE, 
comment to my friend Dina, who is in my real life. He was like, oh, hi, Dina. And it was such a beautiful moment of that just completely combining. And they know who each other is. And they both know their importance in my life. And they were saying hello to each other on an Instagram live that I was a part of. So that that beautiful full circle is exactly what I think you're talking about. Yeah, you're there. And I'm so happy that I get to be a part of it. Do you still get cravings? I do not get cravings. What I get, so much of my recovery has, I just like to be included. As a kid, I was so quiet. I didn't have friends. I wasn't included in a lot of things. Um, I've had the same best friend my whole life. People ask me like, what group were you in when you were you know, in high school? And I was like, I was Lori's friend. Wherever Lori went, I went. But for me, it's about inclusion. And I like to have a drink in my hand. And it's not that I'm craving an alcohol-free drink, excuse me. It's not that I'm craving the actual alcohol. It's that I'm craving sitting on a porch with a wine glass with something fun for me to drink in it. It's, it's not at all about I want alcohol. I just want to be part of the event. I, w- I want to be included. Yeah, you want that connection that we all think the alcohol is going to give us, but that's actually not the case. So what do you do when you go to a party pre-COVID or post-COVID, whenever that happens, and a person that you just met or the host asks you what you want to drink? Generally, I show up with my own, but <laughs> that's my first line of defense is, is bring your own and uh, drink it proudly out of a wine glass. There have been instances where I've been offered a drink or I've been at, you know, some event where someone doesn't know and they say, oh, what do you want to drink? And I'll, you know, just grab me a seltzer or I'll say, I'll, I'll grab my own. I have had a couple instances where like people will say, wait, none, none at all. And my response is, oh, if you'd like me to go burn your house down, sure, go get me a drink. And then I will glue myself to you the rest of the evening. And then it will go disastrously downhill and we'll go burn your house down. It'll be great. And most of the time they turn on their heels and walk away. <laughs> Love that. Yes. What's that quote by Maya Angelou? Um, whenever someone tells you who they are, believe them. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so no cravings, but what about triggers? How have you healed or do you even felt like you've started healing little Katie now? I, I do feel like for a lot of us, the first year is more about what's going on outside. How do I how do I live life without drinking? And and then at some point we have to kind of start slowly turning within. So are you there yet? Other than recovery elevator and cafe, have you found any tools to heal your heart? I have been very, very lucky in that I've had two wonderful therapists. I found my first one in 2005 when I got divorced the first time. And she got me through that divorce. And she is such a beautiful human and that she and I can ride that roller coaster of therapy and we come to a natural stopping point and then we restart when I need to. Um, and we kind of pick up right where we went off. And she she has been very great about allowing allowing the story to unfold itself on my timetable. At the beginning of COVID, she and I came to a natural stopping point. And I recently, because of the struggles uh, my husband and I have been having, I picked back up solo sessions with Jay and my couples therapist just by myself. 
and he has a different style of therapizing. Is that a word? It is now. It is now. Mm-hmm. Um, he has a different style of therapy, and um, he's been teaching me that I am valid and I am worth it, and my thoughts and ideas are not stupid. And because of what happened when I was such a little girl, I was taught to believe that my emotions are stupid. I'm too sensitive. I had a, a, a recent, um, my father said to me, it was something so silly that had happened within our family. And he turns to me and he goes, Katie, you're too sensitive. You always have been. And I literally, I looked at him and I went, well, who raised me? Like, are you kidding me? But also it hurt so badly to hear him say that to me at, you know, the, the age of 42. And I was like, oh, that really hurt. And I brought it up to Mark and he goes, do you understand that being a sensitive person is okay? And I was like, well, no, I actually, I, I don't understand that. Can you please explain it to me? So Mark and I went through this and, and being sensitive is actually what makes me who I am. It's what makes me creative. It, you know, it's what makes me break out into song and make up song lyrics to give me any song and I can change the lyrics pretty quickly. I'm not going to sing, but I can do it. <laughs> Trust me. <laughs> And it's just really part of who I am, that sensitivity. I hit a squirrel recently on the road and literally I wanted to turn around and see what had happened. Like, was he in the middle of the highway? And I was like, my God, just keep driving. Like, don't be this sensitive, but it's also just part of who I am. Yes, I agree. It's part of who you are. And I love getting your text messages because like I said, Katie does our show notes And I'll randomly just get a message in the middle of the week from Katie saying, I'm listening to blank episode. I was moved by this, this, and this. Like every single person moves her. And I feel like you found a way of maybe not finding similarities and seeing how similar you are to people in their journey, but you just have this power of empathizing with other people. So... I'm glad Mark told you it's not only normal, but it's probably one of your superpowers too. So that's all I'm going to say. I'm curious to ask you about your job. You mentioned, I know because we're friends outside of us and, and we talk, I know your company is really supportive of recovery. And I just know that a lot of people who work struggle with talking about this with their teams and get scared with happy hours or social events that may happen with their teams. You said recovery was something that was important in your company. Can you talk to me a little bit about that? Is it just, why? Is it close to someone's heart in the in the team? I'm just curious. The company that I work for, so it's a small software company now. We're still in the art world. And the owner of the company himself, I know, had um, personal struggles with addiction. Two of the past employees um, both went to rehab, and another person that works at the company now is sober. The two that went to rehab no longer work there. Uh, but then there's myself. There is one of the uh, head techs. She is sober. And one of our developers has never had a drink. Um, I'm sorry. That's a lie. He he is probably, you know, can count on both hands the number of drinks he's had in his almost 50 years on this earth, but he just doesn't like alcohol. So for us to show up and stop drinking and it's just such a welcoming environment and they've never once 
um, made me feel bad for it or awkward for it. And in fact, they cheerlead me on. When I was first put on the Recovery Elevator website as part of the team, I let my boss know just because it was a picture of me and it was my name. And so if anyone Googled me, like it might come up. And I just wanted Tanya to know that that existed. And she said, she wrote back and she said, I'm so proud of you. Can I share Recovery Elevator with, with some of my friends? I think, I think it's a really great thing. And I think that some of my friends would really benefit from it. And I said, absolutely. Like it's, it's totally fine. She's, my boss has been nothing but an absolute cheerleader of this decision. And those of us that are choosing to abstain from mind altering substances. Yeah, I love that. I hope that's encouraging to some of you out there because there, I feel like the stigma is real, especially in the corporate world. And there are most likely a lot of people, at least one person on your team, if you're listening and if you work with a team, I can almost guarantee at least one person in your team has had struggles with alcohol. There's so many of us. So thanks for sharing that. I think that's great hope and support and an opportunity to have different conversations and to have different types of teams and team culture and leadership. I think the world needs it. So I'm really happy you work for them and for Recovery Elevator with me. (laughs) Kate, what are you excited about right now in this world that's hurting collectively and full of change and dread? What are you excited about? I'm excited about everything. I'm an excitable person. <laughs> I said that on a walk this morning with my friend. I, you know, I'm, I'm just, I, I get really excited about most things. Uh, I am currently excited that after two years, I'm probably going to finish a cross-stitch stocking that I've been working on. It's very complicated with a lot of color working. I am excited about the upcoming year and the way that the company is starting to move. The company that I work for is starting to move. We recently did a lot of changes in-house and there's a lot of stuff that's going to move forward and really propel us. This past summer, uh, one of my coworkers was involved in an accident where he was actually paralyzed and he will be getting out of rehab next week. And so I'm really excited about where we're going to go as a team. I work for such a small company. We're family as well. And so that was a very traumatic thing for us to have to go through. So I'm really excited about what's going to happen next there. There's just so many things to be excited about. I want a picture of that stocking. Is that what it is? Cross stitch stocking. New things for this Mexican podcaster. Not sure I know what cross stitching is, but I know what a stocking is. Okay. You're going to have to send me a picture once it's done and ready. All right. We're ready for the rapid fire round. If you can answer these questions in 30 seconds or less, that would be fabuloso. Are you ready? I'm ready. If you could talk to Katie when she was younger or day one or you pick, what would you say to her? I'm going to go with younger Katie. And oh my God, girl, you are so fucking pretty and worth it. I know we're not supposed to focus on looks, but just like you're such a beautiful person. You're so pretty and it doesn't matter what anyone else thinks. I think every little girl needs to hear that. Just saying. What is a light bulb moment you've had during your journey? I can't even imagine picking up a drink to solve something anymore. It doesn't even cross my mind. What has recovery made possible for you other than writing our show notes? Recovery has honestly made everything possible. I looked at my bank account recently and I've saved close to $30,000 since I quit drinking. 
you're buying me coffee <laughs> again tomorrow morning because she already bought it for me this morning. What are some of your favorite resources on this journey? You have to find a community. And I found a community in Cafe RE. Um, I did not have a Facebook. I made one just to access this, this community. And that is my number one resource is making friends, family, and having them ride this journey with you. Favorite ice cream flavor? Rum raisin and peanut butter ripple, but not at the same time. What parting piece of guidance can you give to listeners who are thinking about ditching the booze? This is the best decision you'll ever make in your entire life and stop waiting. And before we depart, can you give listeners your own? You may have to say adios to booze if flying. If you're so drunk at your wedding that you fall asleep at the dinner table. Adios, alcohol. <laughs> yes. Thank you, Katie. I love you so much. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. I appreciate you. Take care. Bye, guys. Very well, team. That wraps up our interview for today. And I'm pretty sure it was evident that I was extremely excited to do that interview live. It was awesome. It was so fun. And it was like a mini meetup. So I'm really glad that you all had a chance to hear our conversation. And before I say adios, I want to let you all know that registration for our upcoming Bozeman retreat is now live for all Cafe RE members. This Saturday, registration will be open to our general audience. You don't want to miss this event, team. We will have workshops, yoga, meditation, breakout rooms, dance parties, and more. I can't wait to see some of you there. And if you have any questions, just email us at info at recoveryelevator.com. Remember that you're not alone and together is always better. Recovery Elevator, we took the elevator down. We got to take the stairs back up. We can do this. I love you guys. Get out of the story. Get out of the story and use the mind to locate the body. Move the energy inside by talking, walking, and most importantly, trusting that the body already knows how to do so. We cannot fight a drinking problem or an addiction because it's trying to tell us something and we must listen. Nudging us in a certain direction. Listen to the heart and follow your gut intuition. This will never mislead you. People often ask me, what's the one thing I can do? My response is always the same. Burn the ships. repetitive thoughts that always drive you to make the same decisions. It's these familiar decisions that always lead to the same actions. It's these familiar actions that always result in the same outcomes. It's these same outcomes that constantly result in the same emotions. It's these familiar emotions that give you those familiar feelings. And it's these feelings that always lead to the same thoughts, thereby completing the cycle. If you can recognize this, you will be empowered to change your thinking.